0: So hello, I am Dawn Hunter. I am an attorney and deputy director with the Network for Public Health Law Southeastern Region. And I'm glad to be here today to talk with Vaughn Jacobs and Rukaya Yerby. We were all part of the planning committee for the AHLA convener on racial disparities in healthcare that was held on April 12th. And we also wanna recognize Drew Bhattacharya and Myra Selby who aren't able to be here with us, but who are also part of the planning committee and served as moderators during the convener. I also want to note that um, the full recordings are available at AmericanHealthLaw.org forward slash racial disparities in healthcare. Um, And I will just start out briefly saying that I was really honored to co-moderate a panel with Rukaya Yerby on social and political determinants of health. And I also moderated a closing panel on civic engagement and a final question about how to turn commitment into action. Um, And now I will turn it over to Vaughn to say hello. Um, and we'll keep going. Uh, Thanks Dawn, Uh, my name is Vaughn Jacobs. I am recently joined Hall Render as a counsel
1: in the Raleigh office. I'm also the principal and founder of Creating Equity, which is a consulting firm focused on DEI work and specifically work in creating health equity for people of color. So, I was on the planning committee. Um, I've been in HLA for a very long time, and this is a topic that's always been near and dear to my heart, so I was really honored to be asked to participate in the convener, and I moderated uh, the introductory panel, where we really sort of level set and talked about what do we mean when we use the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion, what does health equity look like? what is the difference between uh, systemic racism, institutional structural racism, personal racism, cultural racism, really sort of dug into what do these words mean and what are we even talking about? Um, so that was a great opportunity for me to just get clear about what it is I actually think I'm doing and think I'm talking about with other people on a regular basis and what they think that we're talking about in the work that we're doing. Um, it was really good time. I really had um, learned a lot. I appreciated um a lot of the comments that were shared by the, the panel participants and look forward to talking with
2: you guys about that more today. Great. Hello, my name is Rakaya Yerby and I am a professor of law at the St. Louis University School of Law. I am also executive director and co-founder of the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity at St. Louis University. And I uh, also I was so uh, thankful and honored to serve as a moderator and on the planning committee. I worked with Drew Vakucharia on equity in COVID vaccine distribution. And to me, why it was key because we had so many people who were involved um, in the planning around equity. We had Dean uh, Dana Bowen-Matthew, who worked um, on trying to ensure the use of equity indicators, as well as Dr. Harold Schmidt, who has been tracking a lot of this work and uh, trying to get uh, throughout the country people to use disadvantaged indexes to ensure that we are connecting access to vaccines and getting that to the people who need it the most. And so I'm excited to join with you today to talk a little bit more about what we discussed in that panel and some key takeaways that I think are important
0: for the members. Of AHLA. So let's just dive into those takeaways. I know there is so much great content and there were really rich conversations and I know we got to the end and it's like we could have just kept going for hours. <laughs> but, um, for me, actually, the first highlight that I would want to bring up is actually on the opening um, panel on language. I thought it was really great to start with grounding everyone in a common understanding of the language that we use. And really, I think people coming to this saying, you know, we you have organizations that work together all the time that may not define health equity the same way or may not define racial equity the same way. And it's really important to be on the same page and have a common language and understanding. Um, so I thought that opening panel was really powerful and useful. Um, I don't know if you want us to add more about uh, any takeaways from that panel? No, I actually really appreciated having the opportunity to even have
1: that conversation because what I've been finding as I'm digging more into this work is that we're all talking about the same thing or we think we are, but we're really not. And really getting to understand what people mean when they say these words really helps me have a better understanding of the initiatives and the actions that people are taking it gives me more information through which I can judge the effectiveness of those actions. So, you know, one of the things that you brought up in a couple of the panels that you moderated was how do we turn all of this really good attention into actual, you know, activities that actually create impact and change people's lives and, and experiences in the healthcare system. And so being able to be clear, you know, I'm a lawyer, words mean things, right? So being able, being able to be clear about what we, say health equity is the goal, and okay, what does that actually look like? From your perspective as a product, from your perspective as someone who's a policymaker, from the perspective of someone who's teaching people how to create laws and policies, what do these things mean to you? And getting all of that information and then being able to really have an intelligent and meaningful conversation that goes past the intention and really gets into how do we create the right kind of impact? So I, I appreciate having that opportunity and being able to learn all of these different sectors of the industry, what people think they're talking about when they use words, okay, social determinants of health. Even though that's technically a defined term, I think people bring different perspectives to it. So it was nice to hear that from them.
0: Well, I think that we find too that, especially with with terminology, that everyone's not comfortable with the terminology either, right? So even if you, if you understand the definition, you know what it is, we aren't all in agreement um, about our feelings associated with it, um, <laughs> I say. Uh, One of the terms that even came up that wasn't originally brought up was white supremacy, right? When do we
1: start using that phrase? And is, is that an appropriate phrase for this conversation as well? Is it a term that um, doesn't help us get to where we wanna go? And that, I think we had a really interesting conversation around some of that as well It's just sort of, where do these terms fit in and what do they mean? And when do we need to introduce them into conversations that we're having on the ground every day.
2: Yeah, and I liked it because we had uh, such a diverse uh, group of participants. We had people from the CDC. We had people who were actually from the Minnesota um, Department of Health, the Cleveland Department of Health. And so having a discussion about what language they actually use versus what we use in academia or what not-for-profits use. We had people from Change Lab Solutions. And so really trying to figure out what is the best language uh, for the best venue um, Um, even if we are um, carrying forward the same ideas, right? And so as you said, is it health equity? Is it racism? What are we actually trying to get to? Um, And can we do that using some of the same language?
0: So Rakai, I want to stick with you and say, what was the takeaway for you or something that you, you know, really stood out from the proceedings from the day?
2: Uh, to me, I think I want to highlight two points that came, um, one that came from Francis Mills, who is the director, the intern director of the Cleveland Department of Health, of just really connecting what is happening on the ground with people in cities and states and counties, uh, really trying to understand that if we are going to get to health equity, that what we do to address it must be explicitly connected to the problems that we have. Had And I think uh, Dean uh, Bowen Matthews said it quite clearly when she was talking about vaccination distribution, right, that there have been people who have been challenging the fact that we have been um, sometimes holding back or ensuring that people of color, low income people, essential workers, get access to the vaccine first, but that's because when you look at who has been most impacted, who has died the most, who has been hospitalized the most, it is because those are those groups. And so if we're going to say we're going to give vaccines to people of color, Blacks, Latinos, Asians, Native Americans, it's because we are saying they have a 50% increased hospitalization risk. They have a 15% uh, or 20% increased risk of death or infection. So we need to be explicit about why we are doing these health equity measures. Does that mean that then we cannot provide things for other people? No. It just means that if you have a smaller distribution, you go to the people who are most impacted, which helps us all. And then as you get more and more doses, right, you go to the next group that is hit the most, right? that could be the elderly in nursing homes. So being very explicit about why we are doing these things because we are trying to address some barriers or inequalities, I think was key for me.
0: Well, I like that because I think that goes to the idea that lifting up the people who are struggling most in our communities lifts up the entire community, right? It benefits all of us. And I think that came out too in the discussions um, for the day. And actually, you know, I'm gonna use that as a segue to say, one of the other highlights of the day for me was really a really rich discussion around community. Um, How do you, as to build on what you were saying, connect with people who are working on the grounds, but also elevate community voices in the decision-making process? Um, how do you be strategic about um, the way you identify community priorities and act on them and engage um, the community in those actions? You know, I thought that was a really rich discussion. I don't know if either of y'all want to add on on to that, if that was a highlight for you. I mean, there are so many great highlights, but let me stop talking. (laughs) I I love the
1: conversation about community engagement, and particularly because we had, we took it away from just sort of It's great to have the community involved to really talking about what that looks like. And Rikaya, I think you were a person who uh, kept emphasizing, and we need to be sure that we're compensating people for their participation in this work, right? Like nobody does work for free, you know. Just that when we talk about community engagement, we really need to think about it as there is value to what they are bringing to the table, and we need to acknowledge and recognize that value through compensation, through recognition. Um, and through giving them actual uh, opportunities to impact the policies and procedures that we're using and not just sort of take them on solely as advisory, right? You know, we have a lot of organizations that do a lot of advisory conversations with the community, but the community never really feels like they have any actual power or influence and what it looks like to really truly engage the community, particularly around issues of public health. You're talking about the communities that are most impacted by something like COVID-19, you know, to give, to, to grant access, and then to take on and, and provide opportunities for them to exercise power that would impact their own lives and their own communities is something that we can do as healthcare organizations in a way that's very unique. And so I really appreciated people in on the panels bringing that to bear and saying, you know, it's not just about, okay, we know you're here, we will hear what you have to say. It's not only are we hearing you, but we're inviting you into the room become decision makers with us, to help us design things. And we recognize the value in that and we're planning to compensate you for that work because we would compensate anybody else we had doing. Um, I thought that was a really um, powerful part of the conversation and talking about what it means to really engage your community and not just sort of bring them on from a PR perspective.
2: Yeah, and I would add that when we talk about community, we have to expand our views of what that actually is. Um, And I think Professor Heather Walter McCabe pointed this out. Right, when we talk about race, when we talk about socioeconomic status, we also have to think about disability status, LGBTQIA. Um, and so, if we're talking about health equity, even in um, a discussion about race, we need to talk about how that impacts gender identity. So, a Black trans disabled woman, right, what does that mean? Not just say, oh, well, because somebody's Black, we're gonna do this, right? that community has to include all the different identities that leave people vulnerable um, and giving voice to all of those communities and not treating them as monolithic, but getting enough membership and voices and understanding of what they need. So you can understand how somebody who lives in rural Missouri, who perhaps is black, um, is different than a perspective of somebody who lives in Detroit, Michigan, right? Um, um, and so I think to me that was so key that not only did we have a broad range in terms of where people were from, but also a broad range in terms of perspectives of not just focusing on one key identity that may be a barrier to you getting equitable access to healthcare.
0: The one thing I want to add on to this is that you know we had a panel on civic engagement, and, and I think people might come to the page and say like, why are we having a discussion about civic engagement at a you know racial disparities in healthcare? Um, convener, but we we have that discussion because there's so much good research about civic engagement, which is not just voting, it's participating in your community, it's volunteering, it's being, you know, engaged in different ways that builds social capital. And I really wanted to lift up something that Dr. Edward Ellinger, um, who is former commissioner of health for Minnesota, also currently with the Langeloff Foundation, um, that, you know, he shared, you know, that the importance of building social capital in communities to create change. Um, really to go to both, what both of y'all have been describing. And he says, you know, there are a few key takeaways, building strategic and equitable partnerships with community-based organizations and groups, engaging the community in problem identification and solution ideation, um, translating research into action. So I think we we also had a good discussion and, and one of the other panels about um, more inclusive research and research that's designed thinking about um, the different communities who are impacted being involved in the design and conducting the research. Um, also being innovative and being bold about setting goals. And then he also talks about finding and starting a coalition, right? So it doesn't have to come from the government, it doesn't have to come from a hospital or health system, um, that it really comes from these groups on the ground trying to do work. And I thought that was a really great discussion. and Also a good reminder that um, the importance of each of us in helping to advance you know, healthy communities. So it, what's another takeaway that you have um, from the convener that you wanna share? One thing that came up, and I don't even remember which
1: panel it was on, but we were talking about, again, sort of how do we engage with our communities and how do we bring people into this conversation of this work in a more broad way, and there was a discussion about what it means to be a leader, and that we as institutions in particular need to think more broadly about what constitutes leadership characteristics and what qualifies someone to be in a leadership position with respect to this work because, you know, it's not always someone with a degree. It's not always someone who, you know, shows up in a suit. It's sometimes going to be someone who would be typically not considered leadership material who has the kind of insight, the ideas that you really need to, to move the needle. And so I, I really appreciate it. Um, I think it was Heather and maybe even John bringing, bringing in some conversation about thinking more broadly about what leadership looks like. And as particularly health systems try to engage and establish relationships in the community, not just looking for sort of your stereotypical leader, per se, but really thinking more broadly about what are the skill sets, what are the levels of influence that really can bring about change, and where do we find people with those skills, whether they look like, you know, people in P suits or not. Um, and I really appreciated that being brought to bear because it brought me into a place of thinking again, more creatively and more strategically about what it looks like when you haven't been engaged and you're trying to start that fresh, where do we go looking, how do we build rapport? Well, I'm going I'm, I'm, you know, to take my chip off my shoulder if I want to build rapport with someone who's not necessarily going to look at somebody in a suit as someone who's trustworthy, right? You know, What does that look like? And I really appreciated people bringing that to bear in the conversation.
2: And I think for me, it was nice having um, people particularly on the social and political determinants of health panel who are doing work around uh, legal epidemiology, right? Trying to see the ways that we enforce, um, the laws that we actually enact um, can have a detrimental impact on people's ability to gain access to healthcare or even be healthy. And so you have Scott Burris, who's a professor of law, director of the Center for Public Health Law Research at Temple Law School, Sarah Degaya at ChangeLab Solutions, and Samantha Bent-Weber, who's at the CDC Public Health Law Program, and they are all working on trying to uh, come up with this scientific method to be able to track the ways that laws uh, are linked to people's health and health outcomes. And I know you've been some, doing some of that work as well done as well as I have but I think it's so key just to highlight how much uh, laws play a role into people's overall health and well-being um, and unfortunately he wasn't able to join us, but, you know, we even began to talk about Daniel Dawes and his book around the political determinants of health, right? It's not just the enactment and enforcement of laws, it's also who participates in the political process um, and who has that power and that voice um, leads us down the road to, okay, so who can have access to their, uh, to Medicaid and telehealth and all of these things. And so, to me, that was one key point, again, is that uh, we often think that law is separate um, from uh, these barriers, but it, it plays a key role. And so as lawyers, we need to think about if we are advising clients, or if we're working on legislation, if we're working on enforcement, that w- the work that we do could actually increase uh, people's inability to gain access to health care or to be healthy.
0: I like that because I think it bridges both like the leadership part that Vaughn bon was just talking about and then what you're talking about, you know, as attorneys that we're kind of in a unique position, right, to both understand and explain the law to um, whoever we're advising, to our colleagues, et cetera, But also then to advise on ways that we can change the law to improve outcomes. Um, and that comes from this deeper understanding of the data around um, health outcomes associated with changes in law and policy. And, and I also appreciated the discussion on leadership thinking that you know it's not enough to say um, is it legal right or it's it's also now a conversation about you know should you do it and uh, what's the responsible thing to do um, and, and to be more engaged um, in your organization in strategic planning in task forces and work, work groups right in developing organizational policies and practices that will help support um, a more diverse and inclusive workforce. And I think a lot of that came out during the convener as well. And really to Rikaya's point, I think one of the other highlights for me was that we ended with intentionally, and throughout the day really, talking about how we can take action. So what do you do? How do you go forward and put any of these ideas into action? Um, I mentioned policy and practice. I don't know if there are other examples that, um, that y'all would wanna share. I mean, I think
1: for me, it's being, it's taking on our role as counsel. So, so kind of like what you were talking about. You know, We're not just the people who prepare to interpret law for people and sort of give them uh, you know, very narrow lane discussion. It's really sort of leaning into our role as advisors and as counsel and people who have influence in all of these different rooms, people that policymakers and business people in particular look to for guidance and being able to flex that a little bit and say, okay, Knowing what we know about what it takes to actually create health equity, let me you know, really advise you, let me really counsel you in a way that can help us really take action as opposed to sort of, well, that's not my lane because that's not really a technical legal question. And that our role is a bit bigger than just answering technical legal questions if we choose to take that on.
0: So I wanted, I want y'all to think about um, one last takeaway. I think we could probably talk all day about our takeaways from, from the convener, but one last takeaway. And then I want to get to kind of a, a plug for why listeners should go check out the videos. Um, for me, one of the take uh, last takeaway is really, I did Man, I'm a little biased because we were co-moderating it, but the social and political determinants of health panel. Um, I really appreciated one just the different perspectives, um, a two a deeper discussion and understanding of all the different factors that influence health outcomes and and our roles. It doesn't matter what you're what you're doing, whether you're a professor, um, whether you're working for the federal or state government, whether you're working for a hospital um, that that it was something, you know, a discussion that applied to all of us. And I think also, you know, just pushing the idea in particular with hospitals and health systems to think about ways to incorporate the social and political determinants of health more in client interactions, in programming, and in community-based investments, um, what I thought was a really important part of the discussion. So I want to put that out there and find out if there are any other last takeaways that you would want to share.
2: And I'll jump in because it builds off of that, right, to look at hospitals, to also think about their institutional decisions and how they uh, perpetuate racism or inequality, to look at their workforce, right? We tend to only think about the interaction between patient physician or healthcare provider, and don't think about the ways that we set up and pay our employees, particularly those who clean the floors, give out the food, um, that that is and also creates uh, inequities. And so uh, Myra Shelby, moderated that panel, and I really liked the discussion about we need to think about all of the ways that our institutional decisions can lead to inequities, particularly for our workforce and the workforce we tend to don't, we don't think about beyond the nurses and the doctors. So
0: That's a great point. Yeah. Vaughn? No, that
1: was a really powerful conversation, um, in particular because COVID highlighted for us how much we need those people. And and we haven't spent any time thinking about, well, what does it mean when I need someone so desperately but haven't provided infrastructure that supports them in being able to show up when we're in a health crisis and being able to continue to serve? Um, And it it would open the door to a very different perspective from an institutional lens about what it means to really have an inclusive workforce. What does it mean to generate belonging in your workforce when you haven't, even identified, much less address the needs of people who show up and serve every day. Um, it was really a powerful discussion.
0: So, um, so I think if you're listening to this podcast right now, you can see if you, if you don't have at least one reason to check out the convener, then you've been missing out on, on this really great discussion here. Um, but I do want to end with Kind of a high level, you know. What's one thing you would say to listeners to, to that would that would kind of um, prompt people to go check out the videos? There's, um, you can watch the entire convening, um, and then you can watch each panel separately. Um, and so, Vaughn, maybe start with you. You know, what's one thing you would say that hey, you y'all should check out this convener? It was besides, it was amazing and just a really rich discussion and all the other great things Thank we could say.
1: Yeah. It was all of that piece. But I think if you're someone who is trying to find your way, if you are someone who is interested in this work but doesn't really know where to start, what to do, that there is a lot of really good resources in these panels that can give you some direction and help you sort of get yourself started and moving in this work Um, because there's so much of it and it can feel very overwhelming. But I feel like the information that was shared in the panels gives people a lot of really concrete. The three things that they can start doing today that will help move the needle and I really appreciated that part of the convener.
2: I would just say that if you are looking uh, to take on intentional change, to try to support efforts, your clients' efforts, hospital efforts, to um, to move towards health equity, then this is key. You had so many leaders who were in the government or working with hospitals or academics um, who were talking about things that you could use, adopt and make your own uh, to start working towards health equity. And um, I think it's key to start there as you're learning to go to the experts, but then to understand that it's going to be a long-term process. And so, just learning some tips as you move uh, through this for intentional change that will help you.
0: Well, and I think I'm just going to reinforce what both of y'all had said. I think, you know, for me, it's, We had such a diversity of perspectives and roles that it doesn't matter what your role is, you will find content here that is relevant to you, and I promise you will learn something new. I think you will, as a result of this, have a deeper understanding of what it means when we're talking about racial disparities in healthcare, but most importantly, what you can do about it. So you heard both Vaughn and Rakaya just talk about that very eloquently, right? But just you know, what are the action steps? And I would say my hope is that you watch them and then you share because I think we also have a responsibility to help share information um, that can help, you know, other people on our team. Um, to understand the issue better, or to just elevate the conversation in our communities. And so, um, so I want to just remind folks that the the uh, recordings are available on AmericanHealthLaw.org forward slash racial disparities in healthcare. And um, this is going to be released during Health Law Week. So we hope that everyone's engaged in the different educational opportunities um, and other ways to connect um, during Health Law Week. And um, Vaughn and Rikaya, thanks so much for a great conversation. And again, like it was great to work with you on putting together this convener and the entire team at H- AHLA. Drew and Myra, we wish you were here with us. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the
1: opportunity. It was great talking to you all again.
2: Same, same.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.